Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift, the ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing, and that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. And I am The Alarmist. Hey, Alarmy! Welcome to The Alarmist Live. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to be talking about who's to blame for prohibition. Now, here's what you need to know. In the 19th century, the United States had a very big problem in their hands, alcohol. While it was always a part of American life, the pilgrims brought beer with them on the Mayflower. By the 1830s, people consumed three times the amount of alcohol that we do today. It was commonplace for men to gather at their local taverns drink away their life savings, then come home and beat their wives and abuse their children. 
alcohol was largely attributed to the destruction of family life, and this sparked the beginning of the temperance movement. By the 1850s, many towns had outlawed liquor. Much of, the, much of this was due to the Women's Christian Temperance Union, or WCTU, the first female political powerhouse which adopted the slogan of home protection and campaigned for women's rights. They focused on educating children in schools about the evils of alcohol with catchy tunes just like this one titled, Alcohol, You Can't Fool Me. Hi, I'm a kid with a mustache. Alcohol is bad for me. It's very bad for you, sir. It dulls your brains and hurts your nerves and makes you silly too, sir. Alcohol, you can't fool me with promises untrue, sir. I have need to use my brains and keep my senses too, sir. Thank you. In the years after the Civil War, the women's suffrage movement was on the rise after leaders realized getting women the right to vote was an important step towards enacting nationwide laws against drinking. Then, in 1917, the U.S. entered World War I. President Woodrow Wilson put a temporary wartime prohibition in place in order to use all grain in the U.S. for the sole purpose of producing food. The Anti-Saloon League, the leading organization lobbying for prohibition, had helped elect a growing number of anti-alcohol politicians called the Dries. By this point, 33 states were under prohibition laws. That same year, Congress submitted the 18th Amendment, which prohibited the manufacture, sale, or transport of alcohol for state ratification. The amendment received the necessary three-quarters of state support in just 11 months, much faster than expected. The passage of the Volstead Act detailed how the federal government would enforce the 18th Amendment, and on January 17, 1920, the United States finally began the dry era of prohibition. The citizens put down their bottles, and America's alcohol problems were solved. Not. Public demand surged for illegal alcohol and bootleggers created homemade moonshines or bathtub gin, yum, that they smuggled into illegal bars disguised as other businesses like cafes, soda shops, or entertainment venues. These illegal watering holes were nicknamed speakeasies for the need to whisper or speak easy a password to get entrance. Speakeasies ranged from fancy jazz clubs to dingy basement bars and changed the social culture of America. No longer required to partake in separate establishments, women, men, rich and poor all drank together. The house party became popular. Day to day, people hid their hooch in hollowed out walking canes, faux books, and thigh flasks. Prohibition is often credited for the rise of jazz, the cocktail, and even Italian food. But prohibition had a number of more sinister, unintended consequences. Breaking the new law was punishable by up to six months in jail and had a fine of up to $1,000. A quarter of a million people lost their jobs. 
The U.S. went into a mild recession as soldiers who were returning from the war were reintegrating themselves into the dwindling workforce. Tax revenue on liquor sales, which once had been a major source of government income, was immediately lost. Organized crime surged as local gangs collaborated with those from other regions to distribute bootlegged alcohol. Chicago-based gangster Al Capone earned $60 million annually just from bootlegging and speakeasies. Rum runners distributed alcohol smuggled from the Bahamas and Canada, evading capture by the Coast Guard with their newly designed speedboats. Courtrooms and jails were overwhelmed, and on March of 1929, Congress passed the Jones-Stalker Act, which increased penalties violating the 18th Amendment. But it was too late. The drives that had once adamantly supported the movement were now turned against it. On October 29, 1929, the stock market crashed. With the onset of the Great Depression came the demise of prohibition as the need grew for an increase in jobs and tax revenue. Democratic Frank, Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt supported the repeal of prohibition and won the 1932 election in a landslide victory against Republican President Herbert Hoover. In 1933, Congress proposed the 21st Amendment, which would repeal the 18th Amendment. It passed. In the end, the 13 years of prohibition cost the federal government a total of $11 billion in, in lost tax revenue, while requiring them to spend over $300 million to enforce it. It's one of America's historically epic fails. Fun facts, aka that stats. While it was illegal to make or sell liquor, it wasn't illegal to buy it or drink it at home. Illicit hooch had a foul taste, and those desperate enough to drink it also ran the risk of being struck blind or even poisoned. Tainted bootleg booze may have killed more than 10,000 people before the repeal of the 18th Amendment. During Prohibition, doctors cashed in tens of millions of dollars in medicinal whiskey prescriptions. The average consumption of alcohol in the 1830s and 1840s was three times what it is today. Alcohol consumption actually fell by 70% during the years of the Noble Experiment. But the levels jumped significantly as support for the law waned. Well, with us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hey, I'm a fact checker. See, real gangster. I got the real imported, the good facts imported from Europe. That's right. And our special guest today is Matt Gorley. Hi, look what I just found. Actual moonshine. Mm, wow. <laughs> Clear corn whiskey. Oh, let's see you have a taste. Is that real? Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh. oh. <laughs> Let me try. <laughs> Oh, that's like gasoline. I think it's good, honestly. I think oh, it's no. smooth. She wakes up on the stuff. <laughs> Here's to your health. Also Cheers. with us today. Cheers. Uh, also with us today, we have Alarmy General Clayton Early. Hello, Clayton. Hello, hello. Clayton Early, your Alarmy 
listener liaison here. That's right. He's going to be manning the chat room. So make sure to speak up with your thoughts during our discussion and he'll be able to pop back in and let us know what you're thinking. Got a lot of love for the dancing. And someone is already suggesting taking a shot every time someone says the word wet or dry. So you guys know what to do. Oh, we have to take two Uh shots right there because you just, (laughs) he's going to take the shots, but feel free to join him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are all drinking. What are you guys, uh, what are you having over there, Chris, who lives with me, but we're in separate rooms? Yeah, as if you don't know, but we'll play it up for the audience that I made myself a Manhattan. Mm. And you, Clay? That's uh, legally purchased whiskey and uh, (laughs) legally purchased, uh, what's it called? Uh, Vermouth? Vermouth? Okay. (laughs) How about you, Clay? I got a straight-up gin martini with a twist, baby. Mm, Classic. Classic. Amanda? Uh, I made made it. Look at this huge ball of ice here. And we, Mm -hmm. um, Matt and I developed this. We call it the gin atomic because it's gin with tonic syrup, which is apparently a pre-prohibition um, something that they would mix with alcohol. And then I put some lemon, I shake it all up and put it over a really big ice. And I think it actually looks like an atomic explosion. Beautiful. And Matt, as you know, is just drinking moonshine. No, I'm having a what I call a GTO, which is a gin and tonic overdrive. And it's got just some orange bitters in it. But now that I have had that moonshine, I am drunk. <laughs> well, I'm just having some bathtub gin. So <laughs> I made it earlier today in my bathtub. It's always good to drink alcohol that looks like it's in a canister that should be poured into a car engine. That's mm. always no, a good That's sign. why I liked it. I mean, this looks like that's... pure kerosene that you would burn down a house for insurance fraud. And you know what? <laughs> the podcast is uh, an hour long. Let's see if we can't make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. He's got a cigar. Um, Okay, well, I mean, we have a lot to cover today, and I don't know how we're going to get to it all, but we're going to try. We won't. And we're going to start now. Okay, Okay? I'll be manning the chat. I'll see you guys in a bit. Thanks, Clayton. Bye, Clayton. So first up on the board, I think we need to put alcohol abuse. Now, Whoa. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> I just, we just, You're hitting close to home here, Rebecca. <laughs> As we all were just like, we're drunk. <laughs> wah, wah, Rebecca. You just insulted our household. How dare yeah. you? Couldn't you wait till the end, like we were done with the board? <laughs> no, to throw no, alcohol no. Abuse wow, you're a regular Elliot Ness. <laughs> so. In in 1830, the peak of drinking in America, men age 15 and over drank roughly nine gallons of uh, a year of hard liquor. This was particularly high in farm country and in the frontier where life was harder for people. Men would go to the saloon or the tavern after a, a a hard day's work and drink their worries away. And this led to, of course, domestic abuse, poor health, financial ruin, an increase in duels. That was a problem. That wow. was a really like, big problem. Like pistols at dawn? Duels? That's right, on the street. Whoa. Whoa. So they would just get too drunk. And, you know, back then it was not that big of a deal to say you, <laughs> you've shamed my, my family and my people and let's go out <laughs> take it outside. <laughs> well, when you've had a few drinks too, a duel doesn't sound as dangerous as when you're sober. Right, you no. think you can win. It's like... I got this. Yeah. The, yeah. the second I disagree with anyone tonight, I'm challenging them to a duel. 
it's just the old timey version of bar fights. And I mean, we've all been in bar fights, right, guys? <laughs> uh, okay. Amanda, have you been in a bar fight, Amanda? Yeah, back in my, um, my college days. During prohibition. No, I'm just kidding. I've never been <laughs> wow. in a bar fight. I wanted no, to hear I've, the story. No, no, I've never been in a bar fight. Not yet. But I'm okay. hoping, you know, when the bars open back up. <laughs> so yes. general alcohol abuse? Yeah, general alcohol abuse. Um, when was, when was alcoholism, sta- when was the term alcoholism? I should look that up. Fact check. That's right. <laughs> well, Rebecca, I'm, I actually thought it was really interesting during the what you need to know um portion that alcohol was so overly used pre-prohibition and post-prohibition and during prohibition. But I guess I didn't realize that it was um, used so much more during that era, during the saloon era. Um, I just didn't put those things together, but it sounds like it really was a true problem. Yeah. I mean, you think we drink right now, um, 1830s, I, apparently they would wake up in the morning. Farmers would just wake up in the morning and have a drink. That was the first thing they did. Even, uh, in the, uh, you know, 1700s or, or, you know, when the, the Puritan Puritans came over, it was more reliable to drink alcohol because it wasn't clear if the water was, uh, safe to drink. So they just drink alcohol instead. So the Puritans, I was shocked to learn that the Puritans were actually, uh, heavy drinkers. That's an excuse we're using at this household to this day. (laughs) We're not sure about the water. (laughs) That's right. That's a good excuse. Um, so we've got that, you know, that's pretty straightforward. We also have to discuss the evil saloon keepers. Mm, I'm listening. Now, Clayton is going to be all over this because it does have something to do with capitalism. Okay. Um, So calm down, Clayton. Um, (laughs) Now, according to historian Mark Schrad, who is actually going to be our guest expert. So we'll hear from him oh, later. What? Oh, I love that you're quoting the guest expert who, by the way, is watching us do this. And yeah. yeah. He might have I mean, notes. He, oh, oh, yes. He will definitely have notes. He's probably like throwing glasses across the, the room already. Yes, he is drinking too. So just be careful what you say. <laughs> That's right. He might uh, challenge me to a duel. So, <laughs> so the, uh, uh, a New York Times article that he wrote, uh, he says, in the 19th century, saloon keepers across the United States and around the world were seen as parasites on the local community. There was no sending home a customer for having too much. That was lost profit. And since the saloon keeper was often also the town pawnbroker, once Whoa. you had uh, drunk up your last penny, he might take your shirt and hat and watch too if his hired pickpockets didn't pinch them first. Since fleecing customers was often illegal, the saloon keeper profits paid kickbacks to the police, judges, and mayor. Pop histories describe the saloon as a, quote, symbol for masculinity, drunkenness of social ills, but the saloon wasn't the symbol of some other problem. It wasn't the symbol of some other problem. It was the problem itself. This is why the powerful prohibit, uh, prohibitionist organization was called the Anti-Saloon League, not the Anti-Drinking Society. This is why neither the 18th Amendment nor the state-level prohibitions were ever la- outlawed 
drinking alcohol, but instead focused on its sale. It wasn't the drinking every uh, now and then that got reformers hackles up. It was the idea of the rich getting richer by making the poor poorer through addiction. Mm. Sound familiar? Mm. Uh (laughs) Wow. Now this kind of reminds me a little bit of Matt, your favorite TV show, Deadwood. Yeah. All I can think about is Deadwood, Perry Mason and uh, the untouchables. And that is my, the extent of my knowledge of prohibition and I'm sticking with it. But that would be pre-prohibition. Yes. Obviously, because that was, um, but the idea of saloon culture is not something I had really thought much about before, but it sounds like, I mean, they really were taking advantage of people who were addicts. Absolutely. I think that that was a a big uh, problem with uh, there was no way to make sure that people just enjoyed and had a good time. There there was no, um, you know, if they're connected or paying off the police and um, the, the politicians in the area, then there's no safety for the regular patron. So so that's not where the phrase the, sh- the shirt off my back comes from, right? Like someone would be so drunk that they needed to buy more whiskey and they're just like, here, I'm going to sit here shirtless. You give me 25 cents for my shirt. It's a nice one. It's a Turnbull and Asser. Give me some whiskey. And I'm going to sit there and just be shirtless and topless and drink a whiskey. <laughs> I mean, it sounds pretty good. I don't I'll know, look into that. Yeah, we'll, Chris, we'll go with that for now. <laughs> it sounds accurate. Yeah, in fact, no need to fact check it. Let's just assume. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with that. That's fine. It's a live show. Uh, as fact checker, I'll just uh, give that stamp of approval right there. Just gut check. It'll just be a gut check, fact check. All right. Reporting live to press. You heard it here first. It's a fact. <laughs> now, I, 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 you know, we're putting that up on the board. I, I guess, Amanda, you can call it the uh, so evil saloon keepers. Okay, I got it. I got alcohol abuse and evil saloon keepers. Now, the next thing that I think we need to put up on the board is going to be a controversial one. Uh-oh. Oh. Women. Uh- <laughs> Classic. Rebecca, how dare you? I know. I don't, I don't want to say it. I don't want to put them up there. Um, but we do have to be uh, diplomatic here. Um, is that the right word? Well, it's a word. It's definitely a word. I, I, I I definitely think, uh, it's, look, it's a classic go-to blame is you just, you know, you got Eve. um, That's right. Starting with Eve and the list goes on from there. It's controversial. It's controversial. <laughs> <laughs> if okay. you were looking at the feed, you would know that it's controversial. Okay, later. okay. Well, here, what here's saying? what I have to say. Here's what I yeah, have to yeah. say. Yeah, let's, let's. Well, no. before they, they jump on it, here's what mm-hmm. I have to say. Women suffered uh, the most at the hands of men's alcohol abuse, and they were also the first ones to really stand up to it. This is why I'm putting them up on the board. So Susan B. Anthony, who, of course, we know more from the women's suffrage movement, actually started off- And the dollar. (laughs) Okay, yeah, and the dollar. Um, uh, She started off as an activist for the temperance movement. She was prohibited from speaking at an anti-alcohol conference because she was a woman, and so she started the Women's State Temperance Society. But when her petitions- 
um, one of which was over 3,000, uh, had three, uh, 30,000 signatures um, requesting alcohol regulations. When those were overlooked by Congress because most of the signatures came from women, Susan B. Anthony realized that the only way that women's issues would be taken seriously was if women had the right to vote. So there's also, uh, you might know of, you might have heard of Carrie Nation. She's the one who started uh, the Women's uh, Christian Temperance Union. Carrie Nation gained uh, national notoriety for going to saloons and bars and while dressed in black, destroying the establishments with a hatchet as she recited Bible verses. Whoa. My new idol. What? (laughs) That's anti-drinking and religious. The two things that you are not. Women's rights. (laughs) back in the this day. Is, that's conflicting. I love it. Look, do I mean, do anything with a hatchet, you get style yeah, points. Have you, know you heard I mean? of uh, Lizzie Borden? Well, what's Maybe ironic that's is if I wanted to follow in her steps today, it would more like me going into a church having a cocktail <laughs> with a hatchet. Yeah, that's my new hero. I'd like to see that. But I'm curious, Clayton, what are people in the chat saying? Well, actually, before you even said women, Rebecca, our friend Sydney very reluctantly brought up, do we have to blame the women in the temperance leagues and everyone was like no it's the men's fault and that kind of settled down and then you said women and it, it blew up i couldn't keep up we had multiple people saying we shouldn't be blaming the women we should be blaming the fashion industry because their corsets and clothes were too tight and uncomfortable oh, you don't wow. have to convince me about that <laughs> fashion bloated, has been blamed yeah. before right yeah corsets it makes you uncomfortable <laughs> and and i mean i'm sure i'm willing to bet my livelihood that Carrie Nation had to wear a court was wearing a corset mm. when she did all of these. Um, our friend Adam does want Amanda to have a hatchet. ASAP, <laughs> just FYI. Hey, Adam, take it easy. I got to <laughs> live with this thing. Carrie Nation notoriously uh, rebelled against her corset and she was known to not refuse to wear a corset. So that was sort of part of her notoriety. Wow. So, uh, wow. You, owe me, uh, you owe me or someone your livelihood. It's gone. It's <laughs> first gone. To, first to claim it on the chat board, I guess. So then it. I can't, I, I guess we can't put the fashion industry up on the board. I was, we were so close. We were well, we so close. Also, the, the 20s were so fashion forward. It's hard to say, mm-hmm. like, I, I look at the 20s and go, you're doing fashion right. You are getting rid of corsets and you're doing these kind of. Well, yes. Yeah. But the yeah. you know the court this is this is already in the late mid to late nineteenth century so this is oh, pre twenties right okay good point so the corsets were an issue they're an issue I, let's put them up on the board you know just because Carrie Nation didn't wear a corset that doesn't mean that we can't blame them because I'm right. sure other women did okay. and then let's put whales on the board too because aren't those made out of whale bones those things. <laughs> You think we can support a whale in the alarmist jail? You're nuts. Everything <laughs> would take up the whole darn place. Now, no. just to- Amanda, we can't think about the logistics. We have to do what's right first, and we'll work our way. We'll figure out how to put those whales in jail. Whales yeah, in jail. a sea world isn't doing anything. We'll use that. Yeah, exactly. All right. They're not okay. getting these days. Yeah? Uh, Clayton, you have something to say? No, I'll just send in peace and out. I'll be back. Okay, great. Okay, come back. Now I have a question. Yes. How much is just general prudishness responsible for this? Because I'd always defer or default to, to blaming prudes. 
Well, it's not as big of a, a thing as you might think it was. Damn. But that is the common, I think we need to play that side of it because we'll have Mark on who's going to kind of tell us the other side. But I mean, that was also always my understanding that it was these these uptight suffragettes like in the beginning of Mary Poppins, you know, the <laughs> women marching around with their little like votes for women, you know, in their little conservative outfits. And that's always the image you have of prohibition. So I think we should probably put up prudes and suffragettes. <laughs> Wait, but women, but that's why we have women up there. I know, but we, I mean, not we that they're prudes, not that they're prudes. <laughs> um, I think we need a subcategory. Okay. Now, I, Mark's going to have a lot to say about this, um, but, you know, they, at first they weren't even um, trying to abolish all alcohol. It was just certain types of alcohol and drinking in excess. That was their whole thing. Just so like the men wouldn't come home and beat them essentially. And also like, so that they would actually go to work. Apparently Mondays were really hard back in the day because uh, the men wouldn't show up to work because they had been drinking at all night Sundays. Jesus. It's so, hard to blame women if their only concern is not wanting to be beaten exactly. by heavily drinking men. <laughs> exactly. Maybe, maybe we should put men on the board. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think we should put men up on the board. If, yeah. Now. I, I, yeah, yes? I, I agree. I also think it's like, you know, blaming women for uh, this movement is like they're they're They have so much on their plate at this moment. Right. Like they're trying to get the right to vote um, so that they'll be taken seriously, because at first these 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 uh, WCTU, they're not being taken seriously. So. It's almost like blaming, um, it's like, it's like blaming, uh, I can't think of a good metaphor. It's like blaming gravity for uh, Sisyphus having to push a rock up the hill. Whoa. It's like, it's like, it's like not, these women are just like, how how could you, it's an uphill battle. I look, we will, when we decide, it's a good time to uh, discuss. (laughs) And that? my Manhattan just kicked in, by the way. <laughs> what's, what's so special about the Alarmist Live is that you get to see the moments like that, which I normally cut out of the <laughs> podcast, but there's no editing here. So yeah. this is that was a treat for everyone. I think um, in like as a direct reaction to all the women talk, we're getting a lot of calls for toxic masculinity and, and actually put it on the board. Ooh. Intoxicated masculinity. I love it. <laughs> intoxicated. Intoxicated on, masculinity. Yeah. No, no. Intoxicated masculinity <laughs> has to go up there. No, yes. toxic. <laughs> okay, Rebecca, no. what else do you got for us? Okay, we need to put up the Anti-Saloon uh, League because they're, the, um, they're established in 1893, and they're the ones who are driven by uh, a reaction to urban growth, as well as the rise of evangelical Protestantism and uh, its view of saloon culture as corrupt and ungodly. And they're the ones who um, really got it going. They were the powerful force between getting the dries elected for Congress. So they're the okay. machine behind the bigger machine. <laughs> okay. Okay. Definitely. Now, and that's yeah. put the... The dries up there? Well, the dries, we could put the dries. The dries were like, uh, that's just what they called themselves. You you were either like pro, 
team prohibition or team alcohol? Mm. And those were the wets. Dry, drink, dry, dry. I'm just making them drink. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, um, oh, Rebecca's glitching. <laughs> I go restart her? <laughs> no, no. So, okay, we need to talk about anti-immigration sentiment. This was a big part of prohibition. Hmm. From the 1880s to the 1910s, there was a boom in immigration. The United States went from a country of 60 million people to 90 million people. Most of the people came from Europe. Uh, Ireland, Italy, Poland, uh, Germany. So imagine in 30 years, the U.S. population increases by almost 50%. This fresh wave of immigration caused Americans' anxiety as to what is happening to American culture. Saloons and taverns were often the places where immigrants gathered to connect with people from the old country. Um, So according to Daniel Okrant, author of Last Call, The Rise and Fall of Prohibition, he says there was also great anti-immigration feeling in the northern and eastern cities where political machines were dominated in most cities by immigrant tavern owners delivering votes to congressmen. People in the middle of the country thought that alcohol was fueling that political movement in the cities. So that's another reason to cut it off. Sound Mm. familiar? I know I keep saying this. That should be your catchphrase. <laughs> everyone's looking for scapegoats. You know what I mean? And everyone's just riding the wave of, of these scapegoats. This this anti-immigration sentiment really bothers me. I mean, not only because I think most of my, uh, uh, most of the people who uh, my great grandparents came over during that time, but because uh, it's happening today where, you know, the building the wall, all that stuff is is uh they're just riding this 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 wave and sort of doctoring these numbers to their to their whims Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) sad bad bad baddie bad Mm. Uh okay people have thoughts on that no i'm just i wanted to get in on the mm. i was feeling Mm. that moment (laughs) (laughs) really was i did get a sigh from timo they said sigh uh, so we're here for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, it, yeah, it's one of those things that makes me angry as well. It's uh, like you said, Chris, it, people just want to point fingers at, 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 at you know, it hasn't, it had nothing to do with prohibition at that point. You know, it's just like, we don't want them here. And so let's blame it on them, you know? So that's up on the board. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Alarmist. Now that kind of ties into this other thing I'd like to put up on the board, which is anti-union sentiment. Mm. Interesting. Saloons in immigrant neighborhoods were prime targets uh, because middle-class white Protestants viewed them as political and social danger zones. Often the political machines run by the bosses were based in these saloons or used them as a conduit for extending favors. Uh, So uh, there's a concern about political corruption changing social values, uh, immigrants learning radical politics. So, and, and, Perhaps Mark will be able to speak to this a little bit, um, but the idea that they didn't want the unions to get powerful and, you know, unions and, and who worked, of course, in these jobs that needed union unions were the immigrants, the newer, the lower class, the, the blue collar working uh, man. So it was also like they didn't want the unions to gain power. Very interesting, because it's kind of like the saloons where were where people would meet to sort of wheel and deal. 
back in the day. So it was like, if you want to, you know, get to these people, you've got to take away their saloons because where else are they going to go? This is before cafes. <laughs> yeah, and America doesn't have plazas or town squares or much like that. And, you know, these are our watering holes, these these bars. These are the place where people get together and, and organize and um you know, organization is the sort of first step of of unionization, right? Well, that's a really good point. Um, I think that we should put lack of town squares. Okay, I'm putting Mm. it on. I I gotta be honest, I don't see it going to the end, but (laughs) it's gonna be fun to have up there. How about town squares, but like the people in town who are squares? Yeah, like nerds. (laughs) That That goes back to the prudes though, Matt. Yeah, Yeah, it does. All right. Just change prudes to squares and I'll be satisfied. Okay, it will do. Okay. <laughs> um, I wonder what Clayton, you know, let us know your thoughts because I'm going to keep going as well. Um, Clayton, <laughs> yes, we've got thoughts. Guess what people are saying on this chat room, Rebecca? What, what, do, I, what do I always talk about? Dateline. Capitalism. Capitalism, <laughs> baby. <laughs> That gin is definitely setting in just so everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, I can smell your breath from here. <laughs> uh, they're wow. saying uh, that anti-union movement into core capitalism. Music- okay, hold on. Unions tie back to capitalism and the almighty dollar is from our friend Julie. Patrick okay. says, I think you could probably connect the anti-union movement into core capitalism movements at the time. Yeah. Money making power override the power of the workers. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Anti unionism is definitely in line with capitalism. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could put those Okay, together. we can put that up on the board. Finally, Clayton, you got it. <laughs> One of these days it's going to win. I'll see you you mean lose. Yeah. I, exactly. I, th- I don't think you understand what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. A little confused. All right. Talk to you in a bit. Okay. Next up, we got racism. Oh, the old classic. (laughs) The big R. (laughs) So here's an article uh, from the Denver Post uh, that reads, Prohibition's start in 1920 coincided with a major expansion of the Ku Klux Klan, which supported the ban on alcohol as it waged its anti-immigration, anti-Catholic, and racist activities. The Volstead Act provided a way for the Klan to legitimize its 100% Americanist mission. It could target the drinking of those they perceived by their enemies. And then, uh, again, uh, Dan- according to Daniel Okrant, if this problem dates to the 1830s, why did prohibition happen a century later? What else was going on that explains why prohibition went in effect into effect when it did? Ta- as they say, timing, timing is everything. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if the Ku Klux Klan is hitching their wagon to, to you know, being dry, that's telling you something right there, that people should be drinking daily. <laughs> <laughs> A great excuse. Yeah. The, uh, the anti-saloon, uh, or I, I think the anti-saloon league or the um, breweries and, and saloon owners were also very much against... Uh, women's right to vote. Interesting. Because they knew that if women got the right to vote, then 
things like prohibition would go into effect. Mm. So I wonder, I wonder where the KKK stood on uh, women's right to vote. I'm going to hazard a guess. (laughs) (laughs) They were against it. Not huge fans. (laughs) I wonder what people are saying in the chats about uh, racism. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably against it. I mean... Not They're as like, controversial. <laughs> Losers. That's, that's, that's nice. the last thing that was. <laughs> Is QAnon on the chat? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. They're okay. all They're here. Yeah, they didn't buy a ticket, though. They like, you know, what, what is it when you are a. They hacked us. Hacked us. Hacked us. Uh, see, I speak Rebecca. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put hackers on the board. <laughs> I said when you. Dee-doo, dee-doo, dee-doo. <laughs> um, okay, okay yes, so we, what do we, we what do we got? We got a few. We got a, few, we got a few more. Okay, oh, World War yeah. One. That mm. was a big one. Uh, advocates, dry advocates, argued that uh, the barely used the barley used in brewing beer could be made into bread to feed American soldiers and war ravaged Europeans, and they succeeded in winning wartime bans on strong drink. Anti-alcohol oh. crusaders were often fueled by xenophobia, and the war allowed them to paint America's largely German brewing industry as a threat. Ooh. So anti-German uh, sentiment. All tied into race racism. Very interesting. Yeah, but that's the kind of fair racism, you know. It's racism At the time, Germans. it was. <laughs> Proto-Nazis, yeah. <laughs> so World War One was... Uh, Again, timing um, that really uh, fueled fueled it to kind of happen faster than it probably would have. Okay, got it on the board. We also got to put Al Capone and the bootleggers. Mm. I mean, they were a little bit more later. <laughs> they took advantage of a of a of a of a gap in the market per se. Um, they were the ultimate capitalists, Clayton. but you know there was a lot of criminal activity that was associated (laughs) if anything uh bootlegging and al capone that was a big reason as to why the it it came you know it fell apart essentially Mm. prohibition interesting uh they saw a gap in the market then all of a sudden you know no one I, i think that the government started to get scared when people didn't care about following the constitutional amendments mm-hmm. and where, and, and, and when they weren't being um, uh, uh, like people were just turning a blind eye, like that, that, they weren't being regulated mm. properly. And so that, that, that made uh, Congress be like, well, let's just get rid of it. And then we don't have to deal with regulating it. I mean, there's got to be a conspiracy out there that connects Capone and all these bootleggers with the government. Because, I mean, you know, they, the, the lack of regulation was such a huge part of the whole prohibition uh, era, right? I mean, bars still existed. Speakeasies still existed. States kind of did whatever they wanted. And... Um, people, certain people took advantage of it. 
So I don't know. I'm going to go do some research about, um, I'll be back in an hour or so. about. Okay, great. We'll all be gone. But last two, Rebecca, we only have a minute to get these on the board. Okay. We've got a minute. 16th Amendment. The actual 16th Amendment. Put that up on the board. Now, this okay. is this was passed in 1909, and it allows Congress to collect taxes on income. And you're like, um, well, why? What, what does that have to do with it? Well, according to a Times article, there could be no prohibition until the income tax because the federal government needed money. Once that's in place, you can get rid of the liquor tax, and you don't need to collect money on the sale of liquor. But when you get to 1929, incomes plummet, capital gains disappear, and the country is desperate for revenue, and there was one obvious place to get revenue back, the tax on alcohol. Mm. It is kind of, it's, it's reeking of capitalism, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of is. But, but the 16th Amendment brought alcohol back? or Do I have that wrong? No, the 16th Amendment passed before the 18th, which was uh, prohibition, and that allowed uh, tax on income. Oh. So, so then they didn't need to rely on the alcohol tax. Okay. Even though it, it did plummet us into essentially depression. Yes. Mm. Later on, it, it that when when it when it stopped when the income tax stopped coming in because of the depression because of the stock market crash, then the government was like, "Oh wait, uh, pro, uh, alcohol is not that bad, is it, guys?" <laughs> <laughs> we could really use that cash flow. <laughs> and finally, because I know we got to get through these, Nebraska, the state of Nebraska. Whoa. Let's get them. I did not see this coming. I've Let's had it out for them. Let's go. Let's get them. Let's get those corn huskers. <laughs> yeah. So they're, uh, I believe they're the 38th state to ratify the 18th Amendment, and they made it into law. So they were the last one to sign. And I'm just, I just feel like, you know, they don't usually get enough slack, like other states like Florida, California, New York, you know, maybe it's time that Nebraska feels some heat. Mm. Ooh, this could be controversial in the chat. Yeah, because Nebraska is always kind of slipping through the cracks. Did you know that apparently Nebraska is the state in the union that has the least amount of regional dialect? Like if you're from Nebraska, you wouldn't necessarily be able to pin it down. That's what I've heard before. Wow. I'm going to have another drink. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. I mean, get get all of those people to be newscasters, Come on, right? Chris. Check that yeah. fact. Johnny Which Carson is from one? Nebraska. New- about that accent about Nebraska regional accent. Nebraska yeah, regional on. accent. <laughs> so Rebecca, is that everything on the board? That is everything up on the board. Okay, um, great. So, so, I mean, what do you say? Do you someone, think we bring? Someone said, so "Just I think this was cute. I don't know if you're going to put it on the board, but I think our friend Julie said should be blame bathtubs." Oh, wow. <laughs> well, geez, that was a while ago, but I thought it was cute, Julie. So. Yes. I, I, yeah, let's put it in because uh, without the bathtub, there's no large enough, uh, mm. <laughs> you know, thing to hold all the liquor. So interesting. Yeah, I love also, that. also, fun fact, 10,000 deaths due to bad at-home made. Bad. Is that part of your bathtub death Bathtub gin. That's bathtub right. Gin. That's right. Oh. Now, look, I think it's time we bring in our guest expert. Yeah, it's time. We need yeah. an, we yeah. need someone who's a, an expert. 
Yes. So we've got uh, Mark Lawrence Strad. He's an associate professor of political science at Villanova University and the author of the forthcoming book, Smashing the Liquor Machine, A Global History of Prohibition. And I mean, this is a treat for everyone because for the first time in alarmist history, we're going to hear from our guest expert before we send someone or something to the alarmist jail. (laughs) He's basically just going to tell us who to send. No, no, I mean, I I defer to him. We we won't. All right, Mark. Hi, let's welcome Mark to the show. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. So Mark, I gotta start off and say Nebraska. I'm a, I'm a native Iowan and we just love to dump on Nebraska. (laughs) Any possibility, any moment. And so, uh, and Johnny Carson, he was born in Iowa before he moved to Nebraska. Really? Oh, I can't be trusted at any moment during this program. <laughs> but it's true. Also, they they have the the broadcasters. They come to the Midwest, so so you don't you know to to learn how to get rid of their accents. I can be half trusted then. Okay, good. <laughs> so, like before, I have a few questions for you, Mark. But uh, before we get into them, I just need to know you've been listening to our conversation, and I got to ask from one to ten: Are we nailing it? Are we nailing Obviously. these facts? Yeah, like like a nine. Ooh, wow! On point, a couple little quibbles here. You and there. sure you don't want to rethink that, <laughs> Matt? Matt, easy. Sorry, he made Sorry. his choice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's. Oh my God. Woo, I have to know. Well, I have to know, Mark. What's the one? What did we get wrong? Please just take this opportunity to correct. Oh, this. it was that Carson was oh. from Iowa. No, it was my Sisyphus analogy. <laughs> Somebody mentioned in passing that Carrie Nation started the world uh, the Women's Christian Temperance Union, and she didn't. She oh, like, I, that was me. That uh, was me. Yeah, a little bit later, but she was she was allied with it to be sure, and she was a, a fascinating historical. Thing. I start my book with Carrie Nation, and she's uh, because she's been vilified. She is, you know, in the prohibition history, she's this larger than life woman who you know wields a hatchet and and smashes up saloons. And she's become like the the worst villain of of history. I mean, and this is actually what got me into this this topic in the first place is trying to figure out why we vilify these people, why we hate them so viscerally. We use the same terminology to describe prohibitionists that we do for like Al Qaeda and ISIS. You know, we say, "Oh, they these are are uh, you know conservatives. They are um, you know they're, they're puritanical. They're trying to impose their morality on us, and they hate our freedoms, and they hate." And I'm like, I don't know, you know, so that's what kind of kicked me off into this. And, and if you, the more you dig, especially into Carrie Nation, she was not bashful about anything. I think Amanda is totally right. She was saying, uh, you know, she was, you know, I, I talk about her in the book as, as not like this villain. She was like Wonder Woman of, you know, a hundred years ago. She was, uh, you know, she was going after, um, you know, she was, yeah, she was an evangelical, but she wasn't like the rural evangelicals that we think of today, like Bible thumpers. She was the kind of person who was, you know, like if, if you were in church, it's a great anecdote. She, um, you know, and, and the pastor started condemning a woman for having sex out of wedlock in, in the church. And Carrie got up and started shouting down the pastor and defending the woman who was being falsely accused just because her husband was drunk. And that was the only testimony. And she oh, got wow. pulled out. They tried to pull her out of church. And she wouldn't go, right? And so she's, you know, she eventually got excommunicated from that church. She got excommunicated <laughs> from every church. And, uh, 
And she was not bashful about why she was smashing these things is because she didn't have the vote. She said this. she wrote, you know, her autobiography, a couple different ones. And she said, you guys wouldn't give me the vote. So I had to use a rock, you know, to smash these saloons that were operating, you know, and so she was, you know, she was a pioneer. We don't get told that because it doesn't fit that nice little, you know, perception, but she was totally, you know, on the cutting edge of this stuff. You've totally convinced me. I'm going to get one of those little hatchet pins that she used to sell to fund her, you know. (laughs) You've got one, like an original one? It's it's a little souvenir, you know. Oh, my. We need it. We need to bring back the hatchet. (laughs) Yeah, she started with rocks, though. And then, you know, apparently after getting bailed out of jail like the third time, uh, her husband said, why don't you just use a hatchet? And she hated her husband. And she's like, that's, that's the most sensible thing you've said in 10 years of marriage. <laughs> a good <laughs> idea can come from anywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even your husband. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yep. what are, what are some of the factors that set off the, the temperance movement? Oh, I think there are a lot of things that you guys hit on. Um, and what, what surprised me in doing my own research on this. I should, I should just tell you where I was coming at from this whole thing. I, I kind of take it from a global perspective because we do tend to think of American history. I mean, we're all narcissists, so we just kind of focus in on that. Uh, but the first prohibitionist country in the world was, uh, was Imperial Russia. And so you had prohibitionists. Lenin was a prohibitionist. You know, Tolstoy was a prohibitionist later on, you know, and so I, I started looking at it in global context. So, I, you know, I wrote all these chapters on, on the Russian empire. I went by empires, Russia, Sweden, Belgium, Belgian Congo, Germany, Austro-Hungarian empire, and, uh, and then the British empire, like all these different things. And, and what I was finding in each of these cases was that the prohibitionists were using it as, um, as, as community protection, right? Uh, against a, a liquor trade that was invading their community. Usually it was like, you know, they call it, you know, the white man's liquor trade, and so you find all these people who are anti-colonialist, uh, anti-imperialist, who are, are fighting and using it as, as a way to stop the exploitation of our community by those, as Clayton, those capitalists, right? You know, so, um, so, you know, I was looking around at all these countries, right? So Lenin was a prohibitionist. Uh, Kemal Ataturk, the nationalist, was a prohibitionist. You know, Mahatma Gandhi was a prohibitionist. And it was all because of that economic exploitation, and also, you know, Ataturk was probably the drunkest, his, you know, drunkest leader in world history. But, um, but as, as part of that dynamic. And so once you kind of see, oh, okay, well, maybe these aren't Bible-thumping evangelicals because there aren't a whole lot in India and, and in, in, in Russia. You bring that back to the United States and you start looking at things through, like, different lenses and different perspectives. And you start looking backwards in history and finding native americans as like the first prohibitionists because they didn't want the white man's wicked water because that's how we would get them drunk and swindle them and take their land from them and take their furs from them and all this and then looking at other prohibitionists and women uh, this is part of it as well it's like it's like a trojan horse for all sorts of repressed people's movements so including women uh you know a lot of women got their right their 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 beginnings in organizational politics out of out of temperance right so mm. it all kind of comes together in this this anti-capitalist movement and it, it enfolds into a lot of these other things as well See, i'm yammering i'll just i'll shut up no, no. I, I, this is why we have you you've said more in three <laughs> minutes than any of us had in probably 10 years hey hey did you hear my sisyphus analogy <laughs> 
So wait, Mark. So why why was it so popular? Why was I, I guess it was popular because it gave people uh, a way to fight back against the big dog. Yeah, and it was. I mean, it was. Uh, I, there, there are a lot of things I think that just get changed in our historical telling and retelling of these stories. And I think it gets also imparted by the fact that, hey, you know, we like, we like to drink, you know, and, and drinking is good. So therefore the people who don't like the drink must be bad, you know? And so we start to, to like construct these, these elaborate narratives, but it, it really was a popular movement, right? It's hard for us to imagine, um, you know, that's actually why, that's what drove me to write that article in the New York, uh, in the New York Times, because the Times had actually written, you know, run a, uh, I think it was a week beforehand, this this article that somebody had put together with like no research on it and said, you know, that there was, you know, when Prohibition came, it was like this last gas party, you know, going out of business sale, everybody was getting drunk. And it wasn't, you know, if you go back and read the New York Times from 1920, there was nothing happening. People just, it just came and went. And nobody really cared because it was, it was that much accepted. And that's hard for us, I think, contemporarily to try to wrap our minds around, you know, how could we, how could we, uh, you know, allow them to take away our drink? How could we allow them to take, you know, to take this, but it wasn't that at all. And so it was, um, you know, more about trying to protect the community against this economic exploitation. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, at a certain point too, the 1920s or, you know, the 1910s, there was a lot going on right? It wasn't just prohibition. Like there was, you know, there was wars, there was a, a pandemic, very similar to, you know, the stuff that's going on now. So like, you know, prohibition was just kind of a, another headline, another tiny headline, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. It's also easy to think of it as just its own thing, looking back in history, but like you're saying, it's intermingled with all of those things, right? So it's not as black and white as history would have you think probably. Now I have, I have to ask Mark, is there anything else you want to put up on the board? I know you've sort of mentioned a few things just in what we were just talking about that could go up, but is there anything you think we missed? There, there's one word that's like, for me, it's like the, the key word that's, that seems to be missing from 90% of like contemporary prohibition histories. And I guess you could fold it into the, into, to Clayton would be happy with, you know, with capitalism. Uh, but it was, it was the traffic they talked about the liquor traffic. That was the thing that they were against, you know. And so it wasn't it wasn't that they were railing against, you know, the stuff in the in the, the glass here. That was just the mechanism. What they were railing against was people making money. They were against the profit motive. And so it was a very progressive movement. And so it, you know, that was the thing that struck me when I was researching all this. It's like, how do you have if you envision prohibition as like this reactionary conservative movement? Well, then how does it happen smack dab in the middle of the progressive era, you know, and how does it happen at the same time as like the Clayton Antitrust Act and the the Pure Food and Drug Act, which are all about community protection and and protecting the consumer against greedy capitalists, because it's actually part of that same thing, you know. And so Mm -hmm. once you are able to kind of flip that switch and, and make that turn, it's like, oh, okay, maybe all the stuff I've been being told for a while doesn't actually line up quite as well as we think. And I think the reason is, is that we tend to look at it as a cultural thing, right? It's, it's those rural evangelical Protestants against the immigrants or against the, the African-Americans or against all. And, and so when you do that, when you just put on these cultural blinders, you miss out on the other, 
factors. You miss out on the, you know, on, on, uh, on the progressive factors. You miss out on the economic factors and the, and the government revenue factors and all these other things, you know. So if all you see is culture clash, that's, you know, it, it blinds you to a lot of these, uh, these things, that, which I think are a lot more important than, than just, uh, you know, anti-immigrant sentiment or anti, anti-black sentiment. Um, as it turns out, you know, if you go back, the KKK is always an interesting one because the KKK comes about, you know, in the 1920s. But in the South, Prohibition had already been run through the states in 1907 to 1909. So it predated the KKK. And some of the biggest prohibitionists of that era were guys like, uh, and people like Frederick Douglass was a prohibitionist. Um, Booker T. Washington was a prohibitionist. W.E.D. Du Bois was a, a prohibitionist. Um, Ida Wells was a prohibitionist. So all these people were fighting for um, sort of self-determination against this predatory liquor traffic. And the liquor traffic, the people who were making the money, were usually the white people, right? And so it is that kind of, you know, that, that sort of dynamic there that we kind of miss out. If, so if all we see is culture clash, we kind of exonerate, you know, the, we let the, the, the liquor dealer out the side door. He get, takes all the money and we don't even think about him anymore. We blame the victims. We blame the women. We blame the minorities. We blame the immigrants. And the capitalist gets out the door scot-free. Oh, you're, you're talking to a bunch of people who live in L.A., so we would love to throw traffic in the, uh, <laughs> in the alarm scale for sure. <laughs> well, okay. So finally, I mean, I, I, I think I, I know what your answer is going to be. But, and even though you're the expert, I can't promise we're going to end up sending whatever you say or pick to the alarmist jail. But if you had to pick one thing to blame for prohibition, what would it be? I, I got to go with capitalism. Oh, oh my God. Whoa. Right, so. Can we see Clayton's face right now? <laughs> yeah, Clayton. Talk about the Clayton act. Oh my. <laughs> I've been blushing for the last 15 minutes, Marks. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I got, that's like three shout outs. And now I want to make I want to make Mark blush because this is what happened as soon as Mark came on the screen. Okay, these are literal words, adjectives: snazzy, legend, Tom <laughs> Hanks? Question mark. It's the typewriter. It's the Hanks typewriters, thing. and then all everyone's like, "We got to get a typewriter." Well, so many of them. You're <laughs> ain't, everyone's in love with you, and, and then everyone like shut up as you were waxing poetic about prohibition and listening. <laughs> mm, amazing. Wow. Well, Mark, you're welcome to uh, stay on with us during this elimination process. It's a huge part of our alarmist process. Amanda is going to actually do a screen share and uh, show us all the things that we have up on the board. And just so everyone knows, once Chris reads these out loud, there's going to be, uh, you're going to be able to vote uh, listeners, uh, audience members, for who you think it should go to the alarmist jail. If you look at the bottom of your screen, there's going to be a little a link, and you can vote uh, after. It should be up there in a, in a moment. Mm-hmm. This is too big. Let me try to do this one more time. Oops. Okay. Fill in while, while I figure out screen share. Feel free to um, talk <laughs> over this. We can Mark. just ask, yeah, we can just ask Mark another thing. <laughs> well, Mark, what I love about your uh, your backdrop is that, in, especially in the time of the 
pandemic, you know, everyone tries to look smart by having books in the backdrop on their bookshelf, but you go straight to the source. It's typewriters. What came before yeah. the book? It's one the, step ahead. And I love the it. only thing that could top that is just reams and reams of typewriter paper. Paper. Stacks of paper. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or if you were just like up to your neck in ink ribbon, that would be cool too. <laughs> um, Clayton, can people see this in the yes. the listeners? Can they see this? Okay, great. Chris, whenever you're ready, if you want okay. to read Who is to blame for prohibition? Here we go. Is it? Alcohol abuse, evil saloon keepers, women, town squares and suffragettes, the fashion industry, whales, <laughs> intoxicated masculinity, anti-saloon league, anti-immigration sentiment, anti-union sentiment, lack of town squares, ooh, capitalism, big one, the liquor traffic, racism, World War One, Al Capone and bootleggers, the actual 16th Amendment, Nebraska, or bathtubs. So right off the bat, I think we can take women and whales off of the board. <laughs> the two biggest victims. Honestly. What about male whales? Mm. <laughs> Those okay. get to stay on. <laughs> I'll allow it. I think you can also fold a couple into certain things like uh, anti-immigration sentiment and racism, or even intoxicated masculinity and capitalism. Those go hand in hand. That's right. So, yeah, I, I think that we can definitely fold those in to capitalism. Okay. So are we, okay. So I'm going to fold anti-immigration intoxicated masculinity. Okay, so sorry, I'm going to fold anti-immigration into racism, so I'm taking off anti-immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, what was the other thing that you said? Anti-union sentiment could uh, go into capitalism. Yeah, that's... Great, yeah. I see, okay. Um, we can also take bathtubs out. Uh, okay, I, but we also, don't forget, we have the big slap. So bathtubs, I could see getting the big slap. <laughs> well, baths well, are great. But, yeah, and, and here's the thing, bathtubs were useful after prohibition came into play it's not like oh we have a bathtub let's do prohibition because then we can always just make bathtub gin (laughs) yeah bathtubs are getting a bad rap they existed before and after that's right are the are the listeners going to be able to vote for the big slap as well or is that internal they're just going to be able to vote um for who they think is to blame but we'll see i'm asking a chart we'll have a chart and we can assess maybe second place could potentially get the big slap yeah I think we can also take Nebraska off the board. Mark, um, are you okay with that? Oh, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, the fashion industry, again, you slide, you, you slide right out of my hands, fashion industry. We'll get you, but not this time. I also think that we can take out town squares. And, now and that, the suffragettes. Okay, yeah. So suffragettes goes along with women. I'll take that out. Yes, exactly. Lack of town squares. I mean, I don't think that American culture is uh, ready to not drink at this point. Mm. You know? And, and that's what the, the town square would, would, I guess, imply. That we're all just hanging out, enjoying life, talking, not needing a drink. <laughs> That'll never happen. <laughs> okay. I'll, so I'll allow it. He'll allow it. 
Now we've still got alcohol abuse, evil uh, saloon keepers, intoxicated masculinity. Doesn't that go into the alcohol abuse? Can we fold that in? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, or we fold alcohol abuse, I think, into intoxicated masculinity, because that's a little bit more crunchy, you know? Yeah, and I think you can fold evil saloon keepers into the liquor traffic as a whole, right? Love it. I'd agree with that. Great. Oh, man, that felt good. Isn't it amazing when the expert agrees with you? It really really does. I'd like to end my participation there. Matt's out of here. Good night. Mark speaks for me at this point. So we we my backup now, so. <laughs> oh, nice. A backup. I the love a prepared expert. Yeah. That's how you know he's an expert. Yeah. I don't have a backup. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've still got masculinity, anti-saloon league, capitalism, the liquor traffic, racism. Now, I like what Mark said about racism, that uh, that we're, we're letting capitalism off the hook, the, the, you know, by by blaming that racism for, for particularly this, uh, this tragedy, this disaster. So I think we can actually take racism off the board. Okay. It's I'm gone. Asking, and ha- what about, Oh, go ahead. I'm just, I'm having uh, several people ask about religion. I guess they thought that was going to be on the board. Did we? Nick- Is that in town squares and prudishness? That's kind of what I was getting at with that, but. Ah, well, I think that's the myth. The, you know, the religion factor is part of the myth, the thing we, we learned maybe in school because it was an easy thing to mm. just label yeah. it as, oh, these religious could crazies. A, could be a big slap candidate. Mm. Um, you know what? I can actually write it in. You're going to see my beautiful handwriting. Right oh, this now. is great. God, wow. Yeah. Oh, my wow. goodness. Cursive. Wow. Cursive? Wow. Yeah. This is how they wrote. This is how they wrote back. Oh, my God. That's yeah. beautiful. Man. When they were drunk. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe you spelled really? it right under pressure. That was amazing. Why does the eye have a little flower pot? It's a happy face. Oh, okay. Is that an umlaut okay. over the eye? <laughs> now, I, I think we got to take Al Capone and the bootleggers out because you know they're they're the reason for why it came down like why why prohibition ended really all the crime mm. i well, think i and, agree yeah you know that was one of the big factors um and it was a a, a cause it, it came after we're getting them out and, and then, then i th- think we could also take this the world war one out mm. It sped the process up. It sped things up, but it didn't really cause it. It was already there. Mark, are I, you nodding? Yeah, I think I think Rebecca's right. It was. It, I think it would have happened without World War One, but it certainly accelerated it. Yeah, let's blame World War One for setting up the conditions that will lead to World War Two. That's big enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to put an X by World War One, but we always have the big slap, so keep it in mind. Okay, now we have four left. Uh, sorry, five left. In- intoxicated masculinity, anti-saloon league, capitalism, the liquor traffic, and the actual 16th Amendment. Now, call me crazy, but I think we can take anti-saloon league off before <laughs> the 16th Amendment. What do you think, Mark? Uh, I think in most cases, you know, people look for the, you know, the, the agency, right? The, the person or people who are doing it. And that's why anti-saloon league is always, you know, kind of the one that's seen as, as being the instigators of it more than anything else. Uh, the 16th amendment is just, I think maybe just taking away 
like one of the 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 things one of the, one of the arguments that the prohibitionists would have made, or excuse me, the 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 West, not the prohibitionists, would have say you can't have prohibition because we need the revenue, and now that the revenue is gone, they can, now then the, the anti saloon league could come in and say. Uh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. We've got this thing called, you know, income tax, which was also very progressive at the time. So it, it, the 16th Amendment was just an enabler in this situation. So we can take the 16th Amendment off. And I, I you know, I know that Anti-Saloon League made it happen, but not not on our show. They're not going to jail. <laughs> You're kind of saying that the Anti-Saloon League is merely just the face of something like capitalism or liquor trafficking, I think. Is that what you mean? I think there's something at the root that uh, of them. You know, they literally yeah. made it happen, but it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Now, is it time, Amanda, for us to hear what our, our listeners? Um, yes. Do we think uh, that is our poll ready? I can stop my share real quick and let's see. Um. Oh, I think we haven't quite gotten to the vote yet. So I think if we want to do, okay, so now it's time for everyone to vote, Rebecca, if you want to put the call to action. Okay, everyone should vote at the moment. Go underneath your uh, screen and you'll see a little link and you can vote for who, the the thing that you think is to blame. And there's going to be a cool little graphic that comes up. Also, place your bets. I mean, there's no reason that just we can have one vice we're talking about here. Let's get a little gambling in. Nice, Matt. I like that idea. While we're waiting for the results to roll in, I would like to nominate um, someone for the big slap. Someone in this Zoom? No, no, no. But um, I forgot her name already, but my hatchet friend. Oh, Carrie Nation. Carrie Nation. Nation. Is that something that, Rebecca, you feel comfortable with? Well, to give her I, the big clap for sure. The big, I mean, the big clap. Is oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think we should do it. I, I'm calling it. Carrie Nation, you're getting the big clap. Never before has that ever happened. We are changing history. <laughs> Mark agrees. Mark yeah. agrees. <laughs> All right. I think the pie chart's ready. Okay, let's see. Wow, this is exciting. This is. Wait, so I I have a question. Is this going to be the final word? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Clayton, Clayton, you (laughs) wield some power. Clayton, we got to see that bow tie spin. So for our listeners, Ah. (laughs) just so our listeners know, uh, it's, you know, the the audience has really voted 93% have said capitalism is to blame. Then uh, the second place goes to 3.5% is going to uh, uh, alcohol abuse. Wow. So this is fascinating. I mean, for me, I have my, I think I know what is to blame. And I I don't think it's anti-immigration sentiment. I would like to give capitalism, send capitalism to jail and uh, the uh, give alcohol abuse the big slap. Wait, what about the traffic? I, that, I don't that know. That folds into capitalism, honestly. That folds into capitalism. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. All I right. Mark and I are I on the same so. page. 
Never before has our audience been, I keep saying never before. <laughs> this is the first time anything has happened pretty much. No, this is probably the first time the audience is not yelling at me um, on their phone while I'm calling this, but I'm going to do it. Alcohol abuse, you're getting the big slap. Wow, nice. Capitalism, you're going to the alarmist jail. Well, and I hope you. that's a privatized jail too, you know. <laughs> Taste of their own medicine. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really I have to thank you all. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Mark, for joining us today. Thanks, Clay, for uh, manning the chat. Of course, our special guest, Matt Gorley. And as always, fact checker Chris and producer Amanda. You guys are the best. So thank Thanks, you. Rebecca. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank Thanks you. Rebecca. Thanks, Alarmy. Thanks, Alarmy. Bye, everyone. Now, we're going to talk about what happened after the repeal of Prohibition. Mixed drinks became popular during Prohibition. The quality of alcohol was so bad that tonic, fruit juice, or ginger ale were used to cover the taste. After the National Repeal, Mississippi was the only state to keep Prohibition laws until 19... To this day, 10 states still contain counties where alcohol sales are prohibited outright. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on, on this live, our first live show ever. That's, this is our show. Thank you to House Eats Live for running this technically perfect virtual live show. You can check out their upcoming events on their website and tune in next week. We will be take, talking about the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton sex scandal. I'm already uncomfortable. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.